When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I will begin with the Muses and Apollo and Zeus, for it is through the Muses and Apollo that there are singers upon the earth and players upon the lyre, but kings are from Zeus. 
Happy is he whom the muses love, sweet flows speech from his lips. Hail, children of Zeus, give honor to my song, and now I will remember you and another song also. Hi, hello, nerds. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv, here with a God-specific episode for the first time in quite some time. It is time to talk about Apollo, a god I feel so very meh about that I have never bothered to dive too deep with you all. Besides all those times his boyfriends died tragically at his hand. That's a whole other issue. It does not pay to love Apollo. But before we dive into this god who has a habit of taking credit for other, more minor gods' roles in the world, I want to tell you about a special episode that I have got coming up. For the first episode of 2022, I'm going to be doing a big Q&A episode. It's been a while since I took your questions, and I know I've got a whole slew of new listeners since the last time, so it feels only right. Plus, it means I can actually take a bit of a holiday over the season before coming back to you in January with the biggest, most planned, most controversial episode series I've ever attempted. (gasps) That is right. Stay tuned for that. January is a big fucking month and I have got my work cut out for me preparing for it. (gasps) But before that, your questions, my answers. I will answer your questions on the episode that will come out on January 4th because somehow it's almost 2022 already. Remember when it was 2019? It feels like yesterday. I want to answer questions about anything and everything, except don't get too personal, let's not be weird. Ask me about mythology, history, podcasting, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, lore Olympus, books, movies, whatever you want. I am here to answer. Submit your questions at mythsbaby.com slash questions. That's mythsbaby.com slash questions, plural. There's a link in the episode's description. Apollo... Apollo, Apollo. Where do we even begin with this guy? Well, I've already obviously told you a lot of stories that feature Apollo, so I won't rehash all of those, but we will talk about the whole of the story of this god. This god who takes after his father quite a bit, and not in a good way. is episode 147, Far-Shooting Phoebus Apollo, God of Everything and Nothing. Oh, Apollo. This past Friday's episode was a reading of the two longer Homeric hymns to Apollo, One retells the story of his birth. It's dramatic. And the other, the founding of the Oracle of Delphi on that spot on Mount Parnassus. There's a dragon and cretans and dolphins. But there's also a very short and sweet Homeric hymn to Apollo and the Muses that I read at the top of this episode. 
It's not surprising that Apollo has a lot of Homeric hymns in his name. He was, after all, very important and the god of poetry itself. There's even yet another short Homeric hymn that's for him alone. Phoebus, of you even the swan sings with clear voice to the beating of his wings as he alights upon the bank by the eddying river Peneus, and of you the sweet-tongued minstrel holding his high-pitched lyre always sings both first and last. And so hail to you, Lord, I seek your favor with my song. Apollo, 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 what makes you so special? Apollo is the god of so many things, prophecy and oracles, music, song and poetry, archery, healing, plague and disease. A myriad options for when and why one might have worshipped Apollo, the god of everything. But the way I see it, he was also the god of almost nothing. At least, almost nothing that was exclusively his, or that he had a real hand in. Okay, so oracles. Sure, he was the god of oracles, but he had the Pythia speaking his word to the Greek people. Fine, she was meant to be imbued by his prophetic powers, so that's still his role, technically. Music, song, and poetry. Well, that sounds an awful like the work of the muses to me. Archery. Yeah, I mean, if anyone's famous for archery, it's probably more like a goddess like Artemis, or even the god of love, Eros. Healing, plague, and disease. Well, Apollo went and taught everything to the god Asclepius so that that god basically took over those things and then his daughter, Hygieia, goddess of health, helped with the rest. I'm not saying this to lessen Apollo's importance. It's just interesting that basically all the things he's god of, someone else handled for him, at least in part, if not almost entirely. Meanwhile, many people think of Apollo as the god of the sun, but that's really a later construction when the pantheon of gods was getting kind of whittled down in terms of how many gods were in charge of how many things. But in the early days, from what we have in surviving sources, Helios was exclusively the god of the sun. He's the one who pulled the chariot. It's his son, Phaethon, who borrowed it and caused so much fucking damage. That's all Helios. So what was actually Apollo's? What role did he play? What things were his and his alone? Well, with all of my Apollonic skepticism said, let's talk stories of this god. Apollo was born to the titan goddess Leto after an affair she had with Zeus. I say affair, but in fact, it's likely she was actually believed to be more of a first wife of Zeus before he married Hera. It's tough to track this. There isn't a lot that describes those early times. The sourcing is all about their war with the titans and the giants and less about who was dating and who was marrying who. But that Leto was probably quote-unquote married to Zeus, or at least a true, if brief, partner of his in some form, seems evident. This may also have been an attempt to legitimize their children as much as possible. Their children were so important that it's likely those who worshipped them would want to see their parentage as completely legitimate. Because, of course, the children of Zeus and Leto are the twins Apollo and Artemis. 
The relationship of Zeus and Leto was certainly brief, because by the time Leto was going to give birth to the twins, Hera was out to get her in that way that poor damaged Hera goes for. I won't retell this whole story, not only have I told it before in some of the earliest episodes of the podcast, but the birth of Apollo, at least, if not the birth of his sister, Artemis, comes primarily from the Homeric hymn to Apollo, which I read in Friday's episode. What matters is that the birth of Apollo was very, very dramatic. Leto wasn't able to give birth to him until she reached the island of Delos, which some sources say is because the mythology described Delos as floating in a way that other islands weren't. And that meant it wasn't a part of the earth in the same way, and Hera had cursed the earth never to allow Leto to give birth there. Still, the overall purpose of Apollo's birth taking place so specifically on Delos was to make it a very sacred island. Delos was tiny, but sacred. It was the birthplace of Apollo, and therefore one of the spaces that was most important to him. Probably a tie with Delphi and his oracle on Mount Parnassus. Apollo came into the world with a dramatic twist, and this, along with his parentage generally, connected him quite a bit to Zeus. They were tight, and Apollo behaves like Zeus's son in a way that, say, Ares might not. Though he isn't explicitly Zeus's favorite, that would be Athena, Apollo is certainly the most like his father in all the wrong ways. He is also one of the most important and worshipped gods of ancient Greece, if not the official number one. Apollo was it. I say that broadly, I'm not sure what time periods this was true or less true for, but broadly, in the world of ancient Greece and their mythology, if you had to name one god as the most important in terms of worship and reverence, it was Apollo. Yet, when it comes to actual stories featuring Apollo, there are few to none that don't end in abject tragedy for everyone involved that wasn't Apollo himself. Think back to those episodes I've covered for Pride Month every year. Many feature Apollo. He certainly was a god who loved both men and women. But every time he fell in love with a man, that man died. Tragically. His beloved boyfriend Hyacinthus was killed when their game of discus got a little too wild. Hyacinthus obviously became the hyacinth flower. Apollo loved another man too, one named Kiparissus, whose death also came about via his relationship with Apollo, and Kiparissus became the cypress tree. And if we're talking women he was involved with, the obvious example is Daphne the nymph who wasn't interested in him and yet who Apollo pursued and pursued and pursued until the poor woman had herself changed into a tree to avoid him. The laurel tree, which he took as his sacred symbol. And finally, Coronis, who was with Apollo and who he had killed by Artemis because he found her to be unfaithful. Like, as if he had never been with anyone else, right? Anyway, Coronis was straight up murdered by Artemis on her brother's orders, but Apollo did what gods do when he saved their son from his dead mother's belly, and thus, the god of medicine, Asclepius, was born. Okay, but Liv, you've told us all these stories before. Yes, I have. But you need the reminder in order to fully understand this god, Apollo. There are endless more examples of Apollo being with nymphs and women, consensually or not. 
Or rather, we just don't know if it was consensual as their stories are so minor and brief. He is so very much like Zeus in that respect. The list of women goes on and on. Now, in defense of these gods, this is in part due to the regionality of mythology and the regional desire to link up with important gods like Zeus and Apollo. When we put the list together today, it looks horrifying. And that's not to say it isn't, but it is because of the way these regional myths came about. And it's a great example of how widespread the mythology was in the region and how much there was not a kind of any kind of like through line or canon of which god was with who. It was more about where they'd been and which regions could then connect themselves to which important gods. Still, the number of women and men aside, Apollo's list resembles his father Zeus's in the sheer amount of tragedy and ruined lives that he left in his wake. He didn't have a jealous wife to contend with, Apollo remained unmarried, but he did have a sister who was good with a bow and arrow and who Apollo could and did call upon when he wanted someone punished. Between the arrows of Artemis and the volume of so-called accidents that killed Apollo's lovers, his Theoi.com page is basically a memorial page of lives lost. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, 
And then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Apollo may have presided over the death, both accidental and intentional, of countless lovers and conquests, but he also did have a hand in defeating some pretty interesting giants and monsters. The most important was the giant serpent-snake creature that is sometimes related to Typhaeus himself, Python. This story was told in the Homeric came to Apollo from Friday's episode, which also features the story of Typhaeus, where Hera bore the monstrous creature all by herself. For the same reason as it was said that she bore Hephaestus all by herself, because Zeus had Athena, which I'm contractually obliged to remind you is still bullshit, because Athena absolutely had a mother, and it was simply that Zeus swallowed her mother, Matus, and gave birth to her from his own head after the mother swallowing. She had a mother. He didn't give birth to her from nothing. Her badass mother was just another of Zeus's many victims. Anyway, back to the task at hand, Liv. (sighs) Apollo slew the monstrous serpent Python, and that is where he went on to found the Oracle of Delphi, and why the Oracle herself was called the Pythia. Along the way, when he was wandering those regions of Boeotia and Mount Parnassus, he met a nymph named... Telfusa. This bit is in the Homeric hymn, but I wanted to point it out specifically because I think it's great evidence for the personality of Apollo, and it's not totally clear in the hymn. So he comes across this nymph. She's at her stream protecting it as nymphs are meant to do, and he's like, hey, this looks like a great spot for me to build a temple and have people come from all around to worship me. And Telfusa's like, well, I mean, this is my stream and my area, and I don't really want a god building a temple here that will bring loads of people from all over in their chariots and with their horses. They'll trample all this natural beauty, and they'll mess with the waters of my stream, etc., etc. She makes some really good points, and she makes them honestly. She loves this space, and she would prefer if Apollo didn't build his temple there. She's kind about it. She suggests an alternate location, one that would be better suited to receiving people from all over and and so would be a better location for Apollo's temple. He takes her advice. He wanders further on. He finds the monster Python, kills it easily, and picks that spot on which to build his temple and found the oracle. 
all reasonable and cool, right? Sounds totally fair. Telfusa was nice. She was honest about it. Apollo listened and he changed his mind. Nope. Apollo then decides that Telfusa tricked him. And he decides that that trickery is worthy of punishment. And he sends a rock slide down that completely covers over Telfusa's stream and ruins her home and her livelihood. And why? What trickery exactly took place? I mean, I suppose the argument could be made that when he found Python at that next spot, the nymph had sent him there intending harm? But it honestly isn't clear if the issue is Python, because Apollo kills it easily. It provides the best spot for the oracle, it's a big feat, and it makes him super famous. So is the so-called trickery by Telfusa just that she actually said what she was thinking? She was honest with Apollo, spoke about the importance of her home and her stream, and asked him nicely if he would please not mess with it and instead found his temple elsewhere. I cannot find anything in the text that suggests she intended any slight or any trickery. In fact, it stood out to me because of just how honest she seemed to be, just how straightforward she was in voicing her concerns and kindly and reasonably asking him to honor those concerns. And then he ruined her stream and her home and basically her entire life because she's a nymph, which means she is explicitly tied to that piece of land and that waterway, and Apollo took it all away. Because she raised her voice and said her piece. And if that isn't a metaphor for today, I don't know what is. I don't know if it's because I live in a place where the indigenous peoples are defending their land from destruction by a province who just wants oil and gas that will only go on to destroy Mother Earth further, and those same indigenous peoples defending their land are being met with militarized police and violent illegal arrests... But this bit of Apollo's story makes me straight up hate him. Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is Apollo is the BC NDP's RCMP and Telfusa is indigenous peoples of this fucking stolen land. Solidarity with Wet'suwet'en. Canadians, call your MPs and British Columbians, call your MLAs too. Yes, this is a super important topic that came to me while thinking about land being destroyed for no good fucking reason. And so I'm talking about it. So what is something maybe vaguely good that Apollo did, you ask? Don't worry, I'm not here only to tell you why Apollo is secretly hiding under the radar as one of the most troubling and violent gods of Greek mythology. I will also say at least one nice thing he did. At least nice in relation to Greek mythology. <laughs> Apollo and Artemis' mother, Leto, was one of the many women that Hera punished for ever having been with her husband, Zeus. Yes, Hera is an agent of the patriarchy. Yes, there is more to her than all of this punishment of women, but ugh, for now, that's the story being told. Hera was so furious with Leto for becoming pregnant by Zeus that she tried to prevent Leto from ever having children at all. When Leto managed to give birth to Artemis, Hera tried to make it even harder for her to get Apollo out. Because, of course, the man would have ended up being even more of a threat to Hera as mother of Zeus's other children. But even when Leto managed to give birth to Apollo on the island of Delos, Hera 
continued to torment her. Enter the giant Titeos. The giant Titeos was said to be a giant of the island of Euboea, one of Greece's largest islands that sits just off the coast of Attica and Boeotia, the same island that in modern Greek is Evia, and was the site of that country's worst fires this past summer. But the ancient, mythological Euboea was home to this particular giant, Titeos, a child of Gaia. There is very little to the story of Titeos, like so many characters of Greek myth, but what is there is important when it comes to understanding Apollo. Plus, there's an amazing Assassin's Creed Odyssey reference incoming. So one day, the Titan goddess Leto was making her way to the Oracle of Delphi, to her son's sacred realm, and the temple of his that housed the Oracle, high on that side of Mount Parnassus. As she was making her way there, it said that Hera sent the giant Titeos to intercept her. The giant found Leto, and he attempted to assault her, dragging her away by the veil that she wore while she fought off her attacker. He was, well, a giant, though, so he was able to overpower Leto and to drag her off. But according to some sources, before he got very far, he was spotted, or Leto's cries were heard, by the god Apollo. Apollo, for all his faults, fucking loves his mother. And so he is absolutely here to fucking destroy Titeos for this crime. He rained arrows down on the giant, enough arrows and with enough speed to completely incapacitate him or possibly just kill him right then and there. Or, according to other sources, it wasn't necessarily Apollo who saved her, but simply that Titeos was punished for this act of attempting to assault Leto and was left to have his liver picked out, Prometheus-style, by two vultures forever. Either way, it comes down to the importance of Leto, both as a lover of Zeus and as a mother to Apollo and Artemis. But in the latter version, we get the utter joy that exists in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, that enormous stone statue in Phokis of the giant Titeos being pecked away by vultures. And, important though he is, vital to the Greek world and utterly sacred to their mythology, There really are very few stories of Apollo that don't involve him loving and or assaulting various men and women and nymphs. Like, say, Melia, who was abducted by Apollo and brought to Thebes. Her brother came in search for her, tried to save her. He burned the temple of Apollo. So Apollo killed him. Or... Okirui, who, like Daphne, was pursued by Apollo and tried her hardest to get away from him... She fled to a ship that set sail, and Apollo turned it to stone. Or Balina, who fled from Apollo's advances and leapt into the sea to escape him. He changed her into a nymph so that she might survive. It's not clear if he kept up his chase after that or if he ever caught her. Or Oria, Stilby, or Silas, all of whom bore children to Apollo, though we have no idea whether their encounters were consensual or not. Or Dryope, who was quote-unquote seduced by Apollo in the form of a tortoise. Seduced by a tortoise. What do you think? Is that true? 
like father like son, right? Or the absurd number of other women and nymphs that are connected with Apollo, either in the form of so-called seductions, loves, or straight-up explicit assaults. I counted 41 names. 41. And those are just the women and the nymphs, because of course Apollo also loved men. I've already mentioned the famous men who were loved by Apollo, Hyacinthus and Kiporissos, and both died due to that god's love. The women had his babies, the men died. Now again, to be fair, the volume of names associated with Apollo is, like I said, in large part due to various regions of ancient Greece linking themselves to the god via women and nymphs who would then give birth to semi-divine children who were important to those regions. That isn't to say that the individual people of ancient Greece in those varied regions wouldn't have noted just how many women he was involved with, because many of these stories would have surpassed regionality, namely when his children ended up being more important characters like Asclepius, or when women he was involved with were a part of stories that were shared, like Daphne or Cassandra of Troy. Regionality aside, Apollo has so much more in common with Zeus than he's given credit for. As the god of art and poetry and music, Apollo is often seen in a more appealing light. But he was still a god of Greek mythology and a son of Zeus at that. It's all the stories of women and nymphs having to literally flee from Apollo's advances that really get to me. Like, sure, he fathered a lot of children with a lot of women in a lot of regions. It's very easy to see that how that is simply a way of associating the god with many regions of Greece. But when you get stories like Daphne and Okiroi or Balina, these women whose stories explicitly describe them having to run from him, that they were literally running for their lives from this god forced to transform themselves or throw themselves into the sea or end up on ships that are turned to stone, you can see that regardless of how important and revered this god was, the ancient Greeks who were telling these stories could still see the dark side. It reminds me of the tyranny of Zeus that's so explicit in the Prometheus Bound. Ancient Greeks may have worshipped these deities, they may have recognized their power and importance in the physical world, but they also saw how this kind of divine, absolute power could corrupt literally anyone. The gods were flawed just as humans were, if not worse, and stories like these likely existed as a means of telling stories about very real men who did very similar things in the real Greek world. If Greek mythology and the gods is anything, it's representative of humanity. And isn't that why we love it so much? Horror show gods aside, it is endlessly fascinating to break down these stories, these references and anecdotes, and look at how they might have been seen and understood by the very real people of that world. Ah, oh, nerds, thank you so much for listening. I love that there are still some major gods that I haven't devoted specific episodes to. It means I can do this whenever inspiration strikes. In this case, it was a Patreon God of the Month episode that I did last month about Apollo, the Oracle, and the Muses. I was thinking about just how much Apollo is the god of appropriation, taking things from other more minor gods that actually work with the things more directly. It's fascinating, particularly because he was so important, the most important. 
He's also the one god whose name is the same in Greek and Latin, and that too is super interesting. As you might have seen, often in Greek it's transliterated as Apollon, but that is more the nature of spelling Greek words in English than it is about his name. Ultimately, his name is Apollo in both Greek and Latin. Honestly, this and so many other things fascinate me about Apollo, even if I don't give a fuck about the god himself. And isn't that in itself intriguing? (laughs) Even in cases like these where there are very few stories or just few stories that I haven't told before, there's so much to say about so many of these individual gods. Looking at them as main characters, their roles, looking at their stories as a collection and what that says about them. In the case of Apollo, it certainly doesn't make him look good. Because of exactly this, I've recently been thinking about how much I enjoy doing the Patreon God of the Month bonus episodes, and I realize that I rarely, if ever, actually talk about them on the podcast. My Patreon has minimal bonus content. That's something I've had to make clear, as I simply do not have the bandwidth to research and record and edit what can mean sometimes more than nine episodes in a month. It's a lot. So my patrons are the type of people who get me, who know that they're supporting the free podcast and they're getting one bonus episode per month, in addition to a bunch of old bonus episodes and depending on the tier, maybe some merch or thank you notes. But the bonus episodes I do are very fun. Every month, I ask patrons to vote on a god of the month. Sometimes it's a god, sometimes it's the underworld or mystery cults. Both are episodes I've covered in the past. Then patrons get to ask their own questions about those topics. For the episodes themselves, I will ramble on about the topic. It's unscripted. I'll answer questions, which inevitably leads to more rambling. It's really fun. I just go off and sometimes my brain goes to weird places and tells loads more information that isn't necessarily in the questions. It's really fun and natural and I really enjoy doing them. Anyway, I'm not necessarily trying to sell you on my Patreon. If you want to be a patron, cool, big thank you. If not, that's fine too. Like I said, it only has so much bonus content because the eight plus free episodes of the podcast of the, every month keep me pretty damn busy. So if you can't or don't want to be a patron, I entirely understand. Listening to the free episodes is more than enough in my books, but the bonus God of the Month episodes are really quite fun and I just wanted to make sure everybody actually knew what they were. (laughs) So to finish up, a recent five-star review because thank you all who leave these. This one is from Ashley Hawaii and says, My favorite. I've been digging into Greek mythology since reading Madeline Miller and Natalie Haynes and the dozens of other novels based on minor characters in Greek mythology. I've also been listening to a bunch of podcasts on Greek mythology, but Liv's is 100% my favorite for her feminist spin. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who's leaving five-star reviews. It really means a lot. And finally... I will leave you with just a reminder to please submit your questions to the New Year Q&A at mythsbaby.com slash questions and stay tuned because next week's episode is devoted to the woman behind the myth, the woman who definitely didn't cause the Trojan War all by herself, the woman who is much villainized but so fascinating, Helen. Thank you all so much for listening. You are truly the best. I am Liv and I love this shit very much. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. 
This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.